Sparkler Podcast number 17. Uh, I'm Leanne Centaur. I'm the managing editor and prose editor here at Sparkler Monthly. And today we are joined, honored to be joined, by uh, Emily Compton and Onorobo from uh, Dusk and Kalevia, the writer and artist respectively. Uh, say hi, guys. Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm the I'm the writer, Emily Compton. And I'm Onorobo or Olivia, whichever you prefer. <laughs> I'm the illustrator. <laughs> yes, they both yeah. did excellent work for us. Um, Dusk and Kalevia was uh, illustrated prose that um, I believe it started in January of 2014. Does yeah, it was quite right? a while. Yeah. I feel like it's been done for like a year, which is weird to think. Like, I think mm-hmm. I wrapped it up last spring and uh it's it's been a while and then like we had to go through stuff to do like the short story and like some other bonus content and stuff like that so it wasn't really done but it was like <laughs> book itself wrapped up last spring i want to say something like that we uh the ebook and paperback which is revised and expanded and has bonus content that came out right i think december 1st this past so a couple months ago and then more recently emily and ono teamed up again and did the short story the raven of leningrad for cherry bomb (laughs) i did that under a under a pseudonym because i was like you know i i really like that there's been kind of this explosion in female created erotica and so it's not like i'm like oh no i can't let anyone know that i'm doing pornography because it's like kind of an open secret but i was like i want to make this less ego easily googleable yeah <laughs> you know just in case so yeah like kit leverett it says on the raven of leningrad it's like written by kit leverett which is like a total pun if you know me i'm like super i love rabbits and kit <laughs> is a baby rabbit and leverett is a baby hare so it's like kit leverett i figured that would be like a really obvious pen name for anything i'm like so yeah you heard it first if you find any smut by uh kit leverett you know who's the whose fault it is you find any smut by people uh, it, rather if you find anything by someone whose pen name is variation of rabbits 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 it's probably rabbits, you. Rabbits, rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm but, going to have Emily briefly describe uh, what her novel is about for people who are not familiar with Dusk and Clevia. Again, since it's been finished for a while, you can read it all online and you can get bonus material in the ebooks and paperback. But let's have Emily do the pitch now. Oh, my God. It's such a weird story to do the elevator pitch for because it's so like such a bizarre combination of things. Basically, I usually tell people it's a it's a spy story with supernatural elements. Like, 1960s Cold War era Soviet satellite state spy versus spy. But it's got magic in it. And uh, the incarnations of hope and fear are having this dangerous game against each other in this uh, fictional Nordic country that's under uh, communist rule. So it's an interesting mix. I think I just took all these things that I liked in stories or, like, I'm kind of interested in that era of history, like in Soviet history or like the the different countries like East Germany uh, under communism. And so I feel like I, I took a lot of these interests of mine, like magical realism and stuff, and kind of threw them in a blender and that's what came out. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's super gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. That, that's also an element like... Ever since I, I've written as a hobby for a long time and I've never really done it professionally at all. But a lot of my, uh, my stories tend to have queer elements or like the romance elements tend to be 
you know, I don't usually like that kind of bodice ripper, like the man pursues the woman. It's like two girls fall in love and run away together, but it's dragons and stuff, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it's always like, I, I'm not a huge romance fan, and I know that sounds weird to be saying on the Sparkler podcast, but usually what I like is adventure stuff with romance elements. You know, like a war story, but it has very, very strong emotional content. Like, I love emotional stuff, but if the romance, they fall in love, is the main conflict of the story, not a part of the main conflict, usually I get a little antsy and bored with it quickly that's not uncommon yeah like the shoujo tradition generally uh there's a lot of mixing of that like romance is a subgenre of shoujo but the way you're talking about where romance isn't a a very strong component of it and it's a very strong emotional component of it but you want there to be a greater plot to well Mm -hmm. it really heightens those feelings right like (laughs) extreme stress you can get kind of you know that's why people like slash fiction a lot because usually it's mm-hmm. based on like, you know like like for example marvel stuff it's like the superhero <laughs> story well i'm using this as an example because i'm like i've been so into stucky and you're into stucky so i'm like <laughs> i'm like but the the whole thing is there's this whole conflict in this whole story that works even without a romance element but if you add the romance element in fan fiction it becomes that much more interesting it adds this whole new level to it and i think that you know i didn't really start reading fan fiction until relatively recently which is kind of weird but it's something i've always liked in my stories is like the main plot is is this adventure but there's also this romantic tension between the characters. So speaking yeah, of, I think- uh, that actually was going to lead into you, Ono. So <laughs> speaking of romantic yeah. tension, so Ono was an obvious choice for this book. Um, you guys probably know her from her incredibly sexy art all over Tumblr. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, ono, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your past stuff that you've done that people might know you from? I, I think most recognizable is probably like Starfighter content. I've been linked to a couple of Starfighter projects and those tend to be like um, heavy hitters, I guess. Uh, like uh, Starfighter Eclipse, the video game, and then some flat work for some of the Starfighter pages. But that was like very casual stuff. As far as personal work goes, that's not exactly an announced project. I really love historical comics and things like that, so I was immediately drawn to the project <laughs> based on <laughs> and suits. <laughs> that was that was great. It was actually Hamlet, the author of Starfighter, who recommended you because she's an acquaintance friend of mine through uh, Conrad. Uh, she was like, I first I approached her and was like, "Would you be interested doing commissioned work for this book?" And she was like, "No, no, you know, I'm working on the visual novel. I'm way too busy, but you should definitely hit up my friend." Oh no, and I was like. Yes, she'd be perfect. You know, it's a historical drama, and she oh, she nailed it so. Good. <laughs> it was it was because of Hamlet that that we thought of you for this project, and it worked out perfectly. Which is weird because like we're already really big fans of you. It just didn't even like occur to us, and then we're like, wait a minute, all she does is like suits, like like like, like historical men in suits <laughs> making out. Like, how could we have not thought of this? <laughs> you guys are very sweet. Hamlet is a little bit of like a, a north star, like connect points i've met so many people through her and like had a lot of opportunities through her <laughs> i'm really glad that that happened <laughs>
happen. <laughs> you guys are really sweet. What I want to do sometime is I want to like write a funny, like a humorous story, kind of in the vein of like PG Wodehouse, like the Jeeves kind of stories or uh was it Mike, all his cricket stuff, but make it kind of slashy and have Ono illustrate it. That would be perfect. <laughs> like, I, I love, like, I love, um, crack humor when it's like in the context of this really sexy story. And like you said, there's like all these filigree of drama, like running through everything and like romance and tension and stuff like that. But then <laughs> humor laid over that to sort of break the mood once in a while. Uh, ever- I love, <laughs> I love cracky humor. Have you ever read the, uh, the Jeeves stories? I haven't. No, oh, no. All of you these really like new. them, but it's, it's basically like PG Wode House's whole shtick. He wrote like in the 20s to the 50s, I think. And it's the kind of stuff I like to read to relax, but it's basically like upper crust English people having shenanigans and then the butler saves everyone. That <laughs> it's, sounds great. It's basically very light and very, but like the writing's really good, like in terms of the style of the prose, just the way in which he describes stuff is really, really funny and I'd love to like do a more light story kind of in that vein. I think it would be fun. Well, the few times mm-hmm. that Ono did, she did kind of like these mini, these chibi pictures of stuff like if she was working on an illustration, she'd be like, here's the chibi version. So there was um, an illustration where Demian gets shot like 80 times in the face of the machine gun and she drew a chibi of him. And it, it showed up in the book. We, it was so funny. We couldn't not put it. It was that and also I think, um, yeah, yeah, it was Koivo was pulling Demian's pants off like whoop and like he's like flying through the air. <laughs> There was like this one scene where like after he's hurt, you know, basically the two enemies have to work together and like Toivo's helping him get undressed and just she drew this funny little little picture. But I think what makes that picture for me is like the period appropriate socks with the little sock garter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> really laugh. I love that. Oh God, yeah. Oh no, you your attention to detail in the costume. So it. Costume design A+. Oh, yeah. You guys you collaborate so well. And when we first started doing character designs of this, you know, Emily's a real history buff. And, and so was Ono. So I really didn't want to take part in these conversations because I was terrible at history. But the two of you bouncing off each other and Ono did these great character models with them wearing all these different outfits depending on like the season or the situation that they were in. And had all these different variations like beyond that. We'd be like, oh, you know, if you switch this a little bit or whatever, and she'd have just even more. Like, we were considering doing an art book for this series just because Ono did so much extra art for it yeah. that it's it's like, oh, I want to do something with this. <laughs> oh, my God. And also, I, like, I, that was... well, every illustration you did, you had, like, ten v- sketch versions of it that you'd be like, well, I could do it this way or this way or this way or this way or this way. So there are all these, like, other options that we have, and they were so great, Ono. Exactly, <laughs> like, like concept art where you'd have like the thumbnails and you'd give us a whole range and that's another thing that I was really grateful for to Leanne for is my background's actually in animation and like I'm not the best illustrator like my main thing is 3D but you know I I actually do a fair amount of concept in comics and stuff like that and you kind of let me art direct this series a lot more than I feel like any traditional publisher would like you you let me have a lot of input on the cover and like how the characters turned out and like the different illustrations you'd let me have this this back and forth conversation with ono and i was like super grateful that i was able to be part of the process so 
um, yeah, that, that was fun, you know, just talking art and being like, well, I really like the composition on this one. And it kind of highlights the power struggle. And so that, that was good. Yeah, that was something Leanne mentioned about, you know, that was definitely something I felt um, playing off of something Leanne mentioned about us bouncing off of uh, in historical conversation getting into that. I think because we have common interests. So something I really enjoyed was having your input as well, because my interest in historical comment, like there's so much of history. So the history buffs themselves have like very focused areas where they tend to have like a really focused area that's like their main squeeze or something. Um, and so I really, ours are different, but we still have that like similar bridge. And so I really loved hearing all this other stuff that you had really enjoyed about um, sort of Norwegian culture and like Soviet history and things like that. And being inspired by that because it was like something that I recognize in myself, like getting inspired about like uh, 1910s or something. Uh, and so it sort of like lit a fire under me. I was happy to provide like more stuff. That's your specialty, right? Like around 1910? Yeah, it is. That would be my bread and earth balance. <laughs> 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 I hope I hope everyone familiar with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was what was I gonna say with with Kalevi I kind of cheated because it did involve like a lot of research on my part to like, you know, what was it like living in a certain area in in the nineteen sixties under communism, but it's a fictional country. It's basically like in my mind, like I have this whole you know how people talk about headcanons? Mm -hmm. I have like this historical headcanon for a country where it's like, oh, during the Finnish Civil War, you know, the Reds partitioned off from the whites and it was like an East Germany situation and so it's Karelia but north from Karelia so it was like this whole idea for like how the fictional country of uh, Kalevia formed it's got like a lot of Finnish influence and a lot of Estonian influence and it's got also like for example the language is very when the characters do use um, exclamations in the prose in their language it's very Finnish but there's references to everything being written in Cyrillic so it's very much a melding of like Russian culture and <laughs> Nordic culture and all that kind of stuff mushed together. So I cheated and I didn't have to reference real historical figures. That was a main thing. It was like having a country where you could just control the narrative. Like the, the forest clans really based on uh, a rebellion that took place in the 50s in Estonia but I needed something that happened in the 60s and I needed it to be a certain way and that the, the political figures were a certain way. So I really like just making shit up. <laughs> that was nice. You've got an eye for it. <laughs> it was like that balance between reading Wikipedia and uh, library books and stuff like that and just being like, fuck it, let's just go. Yeah. Okay, I, I guess in the fan fiction circuit, it would be referred to as like AU canon divergent. <laughs> <laughs> so you Look, get to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Alternate history. Yeah, you know, and that's that's good because, you know, it, alternate history can be very complicated, um, especially since you were already introducing a supernatural element with it when Toivo and Damien are basically, well, they they call themselves the angels or other people call them angels. But like you said, they're like human form for hope and fear, respectively. So they're like personifications of hope and fear who kind of come into existence because people call them. Of, like it's like the collective well, it's, will. Well, it's it's kind of the representation of a country's psyche. It mm -hmm. was all about politics. And it's basically like if the zeitgeist of a of a culture or a nation feels a certain way, what does Kalevia fear? They fear like this monolithic Soviet-influenced 
secret police, and that mm-hmm. is what Demi is. And uh, then Toivo shows up as the hope of the rebellion, and so it's basically like the hope and fear of a people given form. Mm-hmm. And it, it was funny because actually that's not originally how it was. It was much more like Faustian angels and demons kind of <laughs> thing, and we actually got away from that during the the early draft phase. And it was something much more original instead of being like, oh, it's it's very like Judeo-Christian war between good and evil. And that was kind of, I think it really helped the book. And I think it was much more interesting the way it turned out. Well, you set up kind of a system with this, the, the hope and fear personifications, that the fan fiction potentials are incredible with this because they keep getting reborn in different <laughs> bodies. There are a bunch of them. There are other people who are spies and they all have different forms. And there's kind of the general hope side versus fear side, but they're also constantly in balance, like humanity's in balance between hope and fear. And it's like, it's not like one side is right. like the fear side and one, of course, like if there was like a really bad army going around murdering everybody, they'd probably be mostly fear and not so much hope. But, you know, basically, I didn't want it to be like the Russians bad, the Americans good or vice versa, because mm. that's really, mm. really oversimplifying things. And so mm. I like the idea that in every national narrative, there's these ideas of what people fear and what they hope for. So in Kalevia, there's both like both sides have agents of hope and fear. Right. Right. I remember parts where the angels sort of use their own powers on their allies in certain ways. Like Damien, he like kind of manipulates other people with fear, even on his own side to get what he wants. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. It wasn't exactly like one side dark, one side light. So I did like that complexity to it. And they both love humans. Like I, I thought like, even though Demian maybe gets frustrated with them more than Toivo does, partially because Demian has, you know, he's <laughs> been in a human people- body for a while. But he's still like, they're both kind of swaying humanity. They're products of humanity. So it's not like Demian's trying to make every human miserable. In fact, he kind of hates sometimes making them miserable, which I thought was so interesting. And and also Toivio feels guilty trying to give a lot of people false hope. So they were both like, you know, trapped in this balance. Yeah, that was definitely the good thing about writing Toivo is because he, characters like that always, like the goody two-shoes kind of characters, always Mm. stand the risk of being kind of boring and so you've got to set them up to get really like have their big disillusionment and stuff like i know this is a weird jump but did you guys see zootopia yes Uh, so you know how there was there's like a police rabbit and a con artist fox right Mm -hmm. and the fox is really cynical and the the police rabbit is really like okay this is i'm gonna try hard and i'm gonna do it you know she's very optimistic and they actually early in production they switched who was the main character they switched to the optimistic character because it was much more interesting having a character who's an optimist and experiences doubt and fear and then triumphs through that instead of a cynic kind of gradually learning to um open up hopeful yeah so i I think it was a a smart move on their part and that's exactly kind of the arc that toivo had was that he he started out as like i am hopeful and then it was like you know, what am I doing? I hate this. I, you know, bad things happen and I can't stop it. And, mm-hmm. you know, basically, yeah, all my characters get punched a lot in emotionally and, and you know, the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do as a writer. You're supposed to not like gratuitously torment your characters, but, you know, torment them with a purpose. Like you're like, okay, guys, mm-hmm. another chapter. Time, uh, time to, experience more setbacks and woes 
I think that's something pretty interesting, like you were saying, where you prefer a plot that isn't strictly a romance plot, but that's a plot that has some seeds of romance in it. And I think that's one thing that really resonates with me, because I find that when I read um, slice of life stuff, that's all like somebody caught up in their own emotions. It can sometimes seem a little bit like self-involved, <laughs> whereas if they have like out, I mean this in the most delicate way possible, introspection is great, but sometimes I, I think I prefer to see that overarching plot, like there's something bigger outside of me that I have to work for, and I like seeing those setbacks. I'm really drawn to like optimist characters who like <laughs> have to get covered in mud before they get what they want. <laughs> yeah, You gotta have that down and out moment, you know, and it's mm-hmm. funny I, I went back and it was so great to like when I got my comped copies and I held them in my hands, I was like, I actually wrote a book. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know? That's when it wow. really hit me. I was like, I was sitting on the couch with this, this paperback being like, dude. (laughs) But um, anyway, you know, so I was reading some passages from it and I feel like, wow, I've learned so much as a writer. Like there's some scenes where I just go back and read it. I'm like, oh, what were you doing? Bad, 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 bad. (laughs) I think it's like that with any art. Like I go back and look at my old, um, old uh, animation projects or or sketches I've done. And I'm like, yeah, what? (laughs) So, um, but but definitely one thing I always like in fiction is like that down and out moment because it makes the eventual triumph all that much more sweet. Like characters lying on the floor just being like, everything's mm-hmm. terrible. I fucked everything up, you know, and then you're like, okay, get up and, and win the day. You can do it. Mm. So Right. Like if that perspective had come exclusively from the fear side or like the pessimist side of things, I think you wouldn't get the same effect from the audience because it would be like all of that pessimism right off the bat, I think would turn off the audience a little bit. It wouldn't make them attracted to the world or the story. They'd be like, I want to get out of here. (laughs) But seeing it in little peaks and glimpses feels a little bit more revealing sort of like as a child growing up through the world and experiencing it and like finding out like, Oh, this isn't so great. Um, feels mm-hmm. maybe more intuitive to human nature. And, you know, interestingly, this was running about the same time that uh, we were running the other novel dead endings, which ended up doing kind of the opposite. Mm. The, the, the narrative is through the pessimist character. And that, that like oh. what you're saying is, was a real concern that I was like, is she not likable? Is like, she too much of a downer. Is she too much? Is she too mean? Uh, whatever. Luckily, Dead Endings is really well written and also very funny, which mm-hmm. kind of helps with yeah. that when mm-hmm. it's, it's more snarky. But it, it was nice mm-hmm. to kind of have these two books running alongside each other because you have Toivo who's pretty optimistic and then you have Caitlin from Dead Endings who's like, fuck everything. Hard <laughs> mm-hmm. drinking. I, I love that because, you know, that kind of character can definitely work too because think of a lot of, a lot of characters that people tend to be drawn to, like, for example, Sherlock is like a horrible mm-hmm. person, right? Mm-hmm. But like, like Caitlin pales in comparison. She's just kind of a hard drinking, like, hey, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, ah, darn it, kind of feeling. And, um, but like a lot of people, they do like the characters who are very like uh, abrasive or, you yeah. know, kind of the cynics you know you you can't yeah. have i think the whole 
the whole trick to that is like you can't have unrelenting cynicism. Yeah. Like and I think that's what I mean cuz like obviously yeah. I'm super partial to the asshole characters that just like hate everything. And then there is a part of me that, that I'm like, yeah, yeah, you tell them the world is like, it's got some stuff in it. You know? <laughs> so there's, um, there's like a way that you, you feel simpatico with the sort of pessimist character, or at least mm-hmm. I feel somewhat simpatico with pessimist characters, but I like seeing them in pe- peaks and glimpses from the eyes of like optimists. Yeah, that's true <laughs> um, too. Sometimes the cynics are more fun through somebody else's perspective because they're like the grump in the back of class. You know, and, and it's, yeah. it's also got that tsundere element to it, like where they're yes. mostly, oh, you know, okay, I, this is a little bit of a funny personal story, but I've got this friend, uh, he does the podcast with us and, uh, he is like, he comes across as the surliest person. Like people meet him for the first time and they're like, he doesn't like me. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's just, that's just Scott. That's just him. You know, and, uh, then, but like occasionally, he will he will crack up at like really cute things like there's like this little uh crab in this Japanese kids cartoon. He's like, oh look at the little crab, and like when a, a person <laughs> seems kind of grumpy, it's like when they have those moments of oh look at the little thing or yay, it's always like, <laughs> it's ten times as great. And so it's yeah. like you know, I I think that's why he's he's like one of my best pals, and so. That's when mm-hmm. you have a good character when somebody seems kind of like gruff or something, mm-hmm. but that they actually have a little bit of softy <laughs> in them. Right. I think you're right. It's like a matter of doses because yeah. like you don't want to do all one or the other, like all optimist and you don't really have a story. Like everything is going all right. And all pessimists, like it easily, you know, fiction, even if it's got other things that it's aiming for, like entertainment is at the forefront. And so if you've got a pessimist character, it might not like <laughs> suit that, but um, you're right. Small doses in either direction, just like a contrast. Mm. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, part of what makes Clevia so good that there's all those ups and downs and then the, mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong really. I mean, in some cases there are. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's still kind of war and there's a lot of like, you know, there's a very, very evil guy in Kalevia who always cracked me up because even Demian, who like, ha- you know, he's like a supernatural creature who like deals in fear. He's like, I want nothing to do with that fucker. He's just messed up, man. I love that. That's something I kind of regret because something I like a lot is complicated villains. And this no, villain this isn't is great. complicated. But it wasn't really about him, though. Like, it was the, the story was more about Toivo and Demian and... um Oh my Vesa. god. Yes, Vesa and, uh, why am I blanking on her name? Yeah. What's her name? Oh, Kai, yes. Yeah, it, the, yeah so the it was about. Girl. She was kind of my breakout character. Like, I really liked Kaya and I liked Demian. I think they were the most fun to write. Yeah, they were mm. both great. Mm-hmm. I, I loved Kaya and, and dressing as a boy undercover and then falling in love with another boy who's like, we're buddies. Oh, are we more than buddies? And then he finds out she's a girl and it's, it's like, it's all, that classic kind of spy stuff, but very appealing oh, to, yeah, like I think as, you know, as women, we've all grown up reading stories like that. We're like, oh, going in drag and, and fighting for the revolution. And then you fall oh. in love and there's the big gender feeling like, love it. You know, like it's just, it's so, oh, yeah, it's so awesome. And it was just an element of this book. Like there was so much else going on for it. Like that wasn't, you know, the entire arc wasn't around that because that's something that we've all read before, even though this was a very good example of it. But it, that was concurrent with like, Toivo and Demian making like 
bedroom eyes at each other while trying to like outspy each other and it's just like god this book is everything <laughs> i love Vesa's because i kind of think he's got to be at least a little bit vicarious because he's like oh <laughs> that boy is so awesome and he's like always being like look at how strong he is <laughs> <laughs> oh man kai is so cool i want to see kai again my friend yeah <laughs> That was amazing. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of that going on even before he's like, Oh, you're a girl. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I do think that, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> I liked his wide eyed wonder at her. And I like the sexual crisis that characters experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a woman of simple needs. <laughs> I, you know what? There were so many sexual crises in this. <laughs> not actually that, like, the main book isn't actually that smutty. Like, you know, it's very much like the fade to black. You know, it's definitely got the tension there, but, like, yeah. I didn't write a, a full-blown sex scene or anything. Well, you and got so- pretty far, and that was because we forced you. <laughs> I was talking to my mom and and I was like, I'm not worried about like the gay stuff. I'm worried about like giving, giving it to people and be like, it's super violent. Like none of my family would be, judge me for the romance elements. They'd be like, wow, Emily, lots of people get shot in this. Lots of people. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's weird because like I'm I'm such a pacifist in life. It's kind of like, Kind of like I have friends and they're like the sweet, sweet people. And then they draw like really scary monsters and stuff like skeletons and really like, you know, dark artwork. And I think everybody art provides a certain amount of release. So maybe like I just get all like my warlike impulses out <laughs> in fiction. And then I'm just like, everybody be nice in the real world, please. Well, yeah. You were writing about war and in a time of conflict and rebellion. So it sort of made sense. And I didn't think you were gratuitous about it. I think you're realistic. Yeah. Some of the past lives stuff with Toivo and Demian, where it's like, different kind of ways rough. that they died. That stuff got pretty intense because it was, you know, basically multiple death scenes for everybody. Yeah. Well, the the thing with the American West, that was like something that kind of actually happened. And that was like, mm-hmm. actually, that was, Toibo's that was last part- life. For people who haven't read yeah. the books, Toybo's previous life was in the American West and Demian was in the cavalry, right? He was like a sniper. Yeah. And, and Toybo was a Lakota woman. Yeah. yeah. And it was, there was the whole, partly I had been going to Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian, which was right across the street from my old office. And I'd go there on lunch break and just look at the art galleries because it was free and it's a great museum. And so, you know, one of the exhibits was about the ghost dance, which was mm-hmm. a big religious movement among the Lakota Sioux. And um, that it was a lot about the hope of a people in the encroaching colonialism of mm-hmm. America, you know. And so mm-hmm. that was like the most powerful metaphor of like hope versus fear that I could think of. It was kind of, yeah, I, I chose that because like it was something I had been thinking a lot about in, in terms of hope and in terms of like what that meant to, uh, mm. to like a group. And uh, it, I was very, very self-conscious writing that scene because it was an alternate history. I mean, it was because it's like it had the the characters. It had like original characters in it, but uh, it was it was bad. I didn't like her. Mm-hmm. It's depressing, you know, and it, 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 and it, it meant a lot to the two of them as well. I mean, I think 
especially since all like the three of us are Americans, um, you know, when they talk about like the way that the American colonies wiped out native populations and, and what, wait, what was it the uh, massacre at Wounded Knee? Was that what it was? Yeah, it was. Wounded yeah, that is the scene. Yeah. Um, which is something that we learned about, like, I feel like I learned about that in elementary school or something like yeah. a long time ago. So, and of course, mm-hmm. collectively, there's still a lot of this really un, uh, this deep unease that we have knowing that this nation was built on things like that, which is important for us to, you know, look unblinking into. And I, I like how you brought that up and to kind of show what, what you're saying about hope and fear and these, ba- you know, these balances of power and stuff in humanity and how these two characters often show up in times of like really big conflict. So that's why, yeah. um, you know, like you said, there's so much violence that that's because they show up when people are at their most extreme. And, yeah. um, also it led, of course, to Demian you know, being on the cavalry side of that. And since he loves humans, he's like, wow, I really don't want to be here basically shooting yeah. Native Americans, you know? And but- they kind of fuck the both of them up. Like, they yeah. carry that death of Toivo's previous life of, of Zofiel before he was reincarnated in this the next conflict. It definitely kind of, it informs the way they react to each other. Right. It kind of mm-hmm. made, it, it definitely made uh, Demian kind of approach things differently and approach the conflict differently and it made them more likely to, to ally with each other to kind of mitigate the suffering of the next mm-hmm. war that they run into. And especially since mm-hmm. you had shown that, you know, in this this current incarnation where Toivo is an American CIA agent and he's a representative of hope and it's like, yeah, and those same, you know, descendants of the colonials, the ones that were the bad guys, so, you know, so yeah. to speak in the, in the earlier incarnation. So I think it was important for you to show that, you know, there's no, there's no group of people who were innocent in any of this, you know, like everybody's like, well, like except for, you know, the, the poor Lakota when he was in there and they were just massacred. I mean, like in that sense that, you know, it was a flashback. That was a side that there was no other side to that one. There was a miscommunication that turned into a bloodbath because the yeah. the army was so aggressive about it. There was like a, there was somebody who's deaf, right? And they were saying, put down your weapons and he didn't yeah, understand it, and they he thought he, and they started shooting everyone, like everyone. So mm-hmm. it was terrible. Um, but yeah, that was, that was important that both Demian and, well, not Demian, um, it was, uh, his actual name. How can I forget my own character's name? I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> what was, what was his angel name? Um, oh, um, Solas? Solas. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I pulled, I pulled both of these names from like back when the draft was still more like angels and demons. That's a, that's a demon name. And uh, the Zophiel actually means God's spy, according oh, wow. to Wikipedia, and that's why Zophiel. And yeah. Toivo is a Finnish name that means hope. So I was really creative with my names. Like, <laughs> I was like, what's a good Finnish name? Okay, this means hope. That's real subtle here. But um, I like it. I mean, who has time as an audience to do that? But I like the subtle little hints that you leave for yourself. That's fun. Yeah. Always- well, and also, yeah. um, people thought Demian was a pun on demon, but doesn't it? Isn't it like no. darkness in Russian or something? No, uh, Chernyshev. Chernyshev, his last name means dark. Okay. And um, it's like the patronomics. Like, I was looking at Russian naming schemes, but Demian, I forget, it's like Tamer or something like oh, that. Okay. Or names. Okay. Um, but it's it's basically like the Russian variant on Damien. I just mm-hmm. picked it because it sounded like a sexy name. <laughs> it was kind yeah, of like... <laughs> You're not wrong. Handsome name but <laughs> anyway yeah so it was important that both solace and zophiel worked for the entity of america at at one point in their 
uh, progressive incarnations. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no good guy. There's no bad guy. There are good guys and bad guys, but like, even it's, it's weird because I, I feel like this is getting into my own personal philosophy. I don't really believe that there are like people who are a hundred percent evil and people who are a hundred percent good. I think a lot of the things we ascribe to being evil might be like mental illness, like, you know, sociopathic tendencies and stuff like that. But I think humanity as a whole is very much a mixed bag. You know, they do awful, awful things and they also do really, really wonderful things. So, you know, I, I kind of want that philosophy to be represented in what I write too. Well, and also I I think you established that a lot of the time when people do bad things, it's not necessarily because they're trying to hurt other people. It's because they're scared. And I think fear is a great motivator for people to do something bad that would hurt someone else. I don't, I mean, a great motivator and like in terms of it's a good thing, but it's a very strong motivator for somebody to, <laughs> I think we, yeah, you're like, I love fear. It's great. I love yeah. <laughs> Especially when it hurts others. <laughs> Um, like, you know, when I was researching the book, I, I based it actually more than anything else off of East Germany in terms of its government. And uh, one of the things that I found like kind of frightening is the percentage of East Germans who had informed on somebody in their mm-hmm. life. You know, it was like it was like a third or something like that. I don't remember the exact percentage, but it's like a ton of people would like tell on their neighbors for like really minor things like I know he has banned books you should investigate him and it was mainly because people were like you know if they were good informants and if they were like you know they tried really hard and were very well behaved they were hoping that the baleful gaze of the Stasi wouldn't fall upon them and so I I think fear definitely plays a large part in people's cooperation with bad things yeah so. yeah it's not necessarily sadism so much as it's a survival yeah. instinct or yeah. pres- selfish self-preservation yeah. you know mm-hmm. where it's like i'm out for number one everyone else can go screw themselves so unfortunately that's uh that's how humans do i think that came across well in kalevia but in a sensitive way not in like oh look at these horrible creatures but in a way that's like, oh, we all have like a little bit of our, like that inside of us. <laughs> and it's a matter of, you know, resisting, I guess. Yeah. I, I liked writing Kaya because she was a mm. character who was allowed to be angry, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, really shitty things had happened to her in the course of her life. And she had a lot of anger about that. And a lot of the, her character arc was dealing with that, ang- like justified anger at, at the way she had been treated and the way her family had been treated. So, yeah, I think it was very mm-hmm. cathartic because I think it's hard not to, uh, you know, whenever we read these uh, accounts of history um, and think about God, not- this terrible, this th- things that happen to people or what they did to each other that, you know, I think a lot of the time we just get kind of depressed thinking about it. And I think it was great to see how furious she was about her situation. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to do the revolution because I want to save everyone. And, you know, it was, mm-hmm. I'm wasn't, fucking pissed, what? burn it down, you know? And it wasn't even that altruistic. I mean, it had an element of like, you know, I want other people to be free, but it was also mm-hmm. like, I'm going to get those fuckers kind of like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, that's very human too. <laughs> yeah. And it was a nice uh, contrast to, again, all the other characters. Vesa, who was sort of, because his father was the chairman, he was pr- protected from all this garbage. And, uh, oh I mean, until he wasn't. Because <laughs> then he gets kidnapped because he's a high profile target. <laughs> <I> but, uh, <laughs> like a fandom word for that. Is, is he a wooby? 
Like, am I using that <laughs> right? No, he's not a wooby. He's not a wooby. He didn't uh, suffer enough. I think a wooby is like somebody that just gets like just Murphy's um, Law. <laughs> yeah, um, can't go wrong. Does go wrong. Yeah, I think the wooby in that story. Um, he was kind of the damsel in distress. I don't think. He, yeah, I don't think he wrote a wooby. Um, not that I hate woobies. Bucky, Bucky Barnes. You mentioned Marvel earlier, so anybody who's familiar with Bucky Barnes, Bucky Barnes is a wooby. So love that character oh, type too. He's so sad and for like, oh, all these horrible things happened to you. Oh, oh yes, Ono's very good at uh, Captain America and uh, Bucky plus. Barnes. Uh, I have a thing for woobies. I yes. love, I love a good wooby. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, like, your character, Gabe, would you consider him a Wooby? Um, I I don't know. Probably, uh, if you, like, strip the veil back, maybe a little bit. Yeah, Ono has an original comic. The, uh, it's called Something to Talk About, right? That's correct. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) He's sort of, like, spinning his wheels on the back burner, but, um, while I try and look for, like, a full-time position, it's sort of hard to, like, cut out specific time for personal projects when you're also, like, job hunting every other contract or you know doing Mm. this and that trying to like pick up the pieces um so it's a little harder to work on personal projects when there's not like a stable anchor of like i know this is the time i can't give and i know this is the time i can give Mm -hmm. versus when it's like more up in the air um but yeah i'd like to work on that again yeah yeah you did a a short story for um (laughs) for filthy figments that was uh something to talk it was something to talk about au that's correct yeah Oh, you didn't read that, Emily? Oh, I didn't. Oh, God, it's so good. <laughs> I just <laughs> out Lewis from, like, all your sketches and, like, the little little bits of something to talk about. Actually, part of the reason, like, the first art of yours I think I ever saw, it was, like, Gabe and Lewis, but it was, like, a World War One AU or something. And I was not like, an AU because they're, actually, but it's sort of like tail end. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I was just like World War One era soldiers. Oh no. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, I I know people have this like fetish for like Nazi uniforms that I can't say that I'm into. I'm not interested in that. I, it's uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> uh, sorry, um, I don't mean to bring up more dark stuff in the middle of no, this no. podcast, Go for it. but. <laughs> My alternative to that is like I see your like Nazi uniform fetish, and I raise you like World War One, where it's very obvious that fear was a motivator, and it wasn't like these people are evil and these are not. It's like the Serbians yep. had good motivation, exactly. Um, and so I'm like, there's less cardboard cutout villains in World War One, I, I think, if, if we can put the, it like that. Or everybody getting trench foot on both sides, like all around. Right, right. Like, Right, it wasn't like, I want to wipe out humans or anything like that, or like conquer everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have the joppers and like the, the high, like sleek boots. So I'm like all about that. <laughs> the outfits <laughs> are better. <laughs> yeah. But, and I tell you though, I really, like, it's so weird. Like I'm saying, I hate war, but I really like war stories. And I like sports stories too. That's the other thing. It's like, I guess that whole homosocial everyone is like fighting for a common cause is mm-hmm. compelling on some level, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it seems like the two things I end up writing the most in like with anime consuming a lot is like, I, I have a lot of sports stories and soldier stories. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, hate the war, like the conflict, I guess. <laughs> in- <laughs> yeah. 
Like it in fiction. Yeah. Totally yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't stand sports either, but there's something not like real life sports. <laughs> but there's something nice about that camaraderie in in fiction, I guess. Well, you figure sports is just kind of like simulated battle. Like I've been, it is. <laughs> yeah, I've been like really into hockey lately, and like you don't talk to me because it's like playoffs are happening, and I'm always like, oh my god, oh my god, what's the score? What's my bracket like? Oh my god, got injured, you know. So I'm. I've been, I have, <laughs> I was going to be like, I was always a person who played sports. Like I was this, I, I my parents were like, where did you come from? Cause they're all like, you know, more, they, they tend to be more like sedentary, I guess. And I was always <laughs> like, I'm going to play soccer. I'm going to run around and play basketball. And they're okay. You do that. Good for you. <laughs> so, um, anyway, with uh with hockey it was the first sport i got really interested in from like a fan perspective and like watching it without playing it like soccer is like i was invested in it because it's like oh i play soccer and then i watch the world cup with my friends but like hockey i've never played hockey ever and i'm still like holy crap who will win who will win the cup so respected <laughs> i was telling leanne one of the projects i've been kind of tossing around not like super seriously but i started working on treatments for it and stuff is like a, a hockey story with magical realism elements so uh <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that ever sees the light of day nice i hope there are ice fights or something like i have somebody gets seriously thrown around <laughs> oh no oh my yeah God. yeah there's, there's lots of fighting <laughs> it's all the things that i like it's it's got it's got fighting and kissing and it's kind of gay. And nice. <laughs> it's Sounds pretty demons. good. It's, it's basically like, you know, it's kind of like the damn Yankees sort of thing, where a guy sells his soul to a demon for sports team success and ah, all sorts of things ensue. But, uh, so is this going to be your fa- your true Faustian one? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's funny because this... Is it doesn't even mention angels, but the demons are much more. It's much more like that rule-based demonology, kind of like uh, uh, right. the Ars Gordica. I don't know how to say that, but it's it's like the old. It's not even really Christian. It's more like you know, if you do this ritual, demon will appear, and you have to light this kind of candle, and they will ask for this thing, and uh, oh. it's it's much more like uh, it's definitely like complete 180 from the. The angels and demons stuff in Clevy, it's much more like mm-hmm. going to have a contract <laughs> kind of deal. Nice. <laughs> so let's, let's use that to segue actually into like next stuff that's coming up. So for anybody who read Clevia, uh, if you got the like complete version, the ebook or paperback, there was an extra story at the end, um, which was basically about Toivo and Demian's next life. It, it, it sort of continued after the end of Kalevia and then was sort of their next incarnation. And then afterward, Emily and Ono did a short story called Raven of Leningrad, which was actually a flashback to Demian when he was working in the KGB and yeah, he was Russia. A, in Russia and he was a, what do they call it? A honey trap? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a honey, it was like a honey pot, but it was, mm, it was so, pot. right? Because in Kalevia, the whole thing with Demian had this whole, association with ravens like he talked to ravens and they'd help him out and stuff like that and they were kind of like his spies in the sky and they they're informants basically so Mm -hmm. instead of like asking the neighborhood kids he'd be like hey hey crows 
see any <laughs> weird shit going on. <laughs> <laughs> and they had so attitude too. I love it. Like the, like the ravens were like dicks. <laughs> me they wouldn't be though like yeah crows life, that's exactly how they are they're like this wicked smart and they're really like kind of sassy <laughs> so <laughs> i i love corvids like corvids are i love parrots a lot too but just smart birds in general are like the best thing ever hmm. yeah i don't think parrots would fit too well in the in like near the arctic circle <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> so bad though like it's so funny because they're really sassy like um my partner he grew up with he grew up with an african gray parrot and i met Mm -hmm. her for the first time a few months ago and Mm -hmm. like she basically holds conversations but she'll also Mm -hmm. do really like snotty stuff sometimes like one time we're paying attention to her be like dusty you know it's dinner time what do you think and we're we're like talking to her and then we got distracted and started talking to each other and then she took her water dish and looked at us like very determined and turned it upside down on the floor and was like oops dusty dropped it and we're like oh my god And then she did this again later and just like she'd drop it and then look at us like, pay attention. I am your focus. <laughs> so birds yeah. are great. Anyway, crows. Yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, Demian was all like with the ravens and I was reading the spy dictionary to, you know, basically find tradecraft lexicon, you know, the, the lingo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it said that the KGB word for a male agent that seduces people for intelligence purposes is Raven. And I was like, oh, oh, this whole story is <laughs> awesome. Hey, it's had that definition. Oh, and it was so good. <laughs> and I also, I, it, it was the first, like, you know, R18 story I'd ever written. So, uh, I guess, uh, okay, maybe. I don't know. Oh, it awesome. <laughs> I found it incredibly hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Oh, and we but, went to, we went to Ono and we were like, you know, can you do kind of a quick sketch for this? You know, we don't have a lot of time. And she sent us back this incredibly detailed, amazing erotic illustration. It was like total, like the next day, totally quick turnaround time. It's just like, here's your illustration. And we were like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like my ass is really showing here. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, we have this story about Damien, that like sort of uh, prickly pear character who is <laughs> like totally your type, <laughs> your favorite type of character. And um, he's, he's going to seduce people and he's going to be wearing pants and we want the uh, like suit pants. Sorry. <laughs> he's not going to be wearing pants while he seduces people. He's going to be wearing suit pants and we want the illustration to be like him kind of like turned on in his suit. And I was like, you want suits and erotica. Let me get this straight. <laughs> I mean, we knew you'd come through, but you really came alive. <laughs> Like, can you draw, like, his bulge through his pants and et cetera, and, and just, it, it was a delight. Like, it's like, I love when you you have, like, this professional conversation about how much is, is too much bulge. You're like, is the bulge too much? Well, I don't know. You know, and, like, we have this back and forth, like, artistic discussion about, like, the erection in Demian's pants. Um, <laughs> my, like, fun. magnum opus is, like, bulge suit. No, it's <laughs> a great bulge. fit, like, the definitely like the tone of the illustration really fit the tone of the story because it was it was kind of like very smoldering look that mm-hmm. he had it he was looking right into the camera because like the whole point it's is he's very- seducing someone so he's kind of seducing the reader and it was just 
It was perfect. Oh, oh no. Heads. Oh my god. <laughs> Guys, you're so sweet. <laughs> we, it's like we used that picture because it's like him kind of sweaty and staring right into the camera. And we use yeah. that for a lot of promotional stuff. Like it's on the front of the Sparkler website. I think it might still be there. I love, love seeing these really strapped down, severe characters, like totally undone. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly in sex scenes, but I like it in all other sorts of scenes. Yeah. Um, like there was that one chapter in Kalevia. I also really, really enjoyed drawing. <laughs> this is so like sadistic of me. I apologize. I really love drawing the scene where da- Damien gets in the car. And I really love drawing the scene where Toivo is, um, strapped to a chair and he's like being to a pole. <laughs> <laughs> and like Damien goes to him and like Damien. <laughs> When he's all like beaten up and then Demian finds him and they have like yeah. the, like there's this voice in the dark and it's like, I know who you are. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I like, like that scene a lot. That was, uh, that was a fun one. It was a great write. scene and oh no, that was definitely one of your best illustrations too of him tied to the chair <laughs> and Demian staring at him from the darkness. I mean, it was just, you guys collaborate so well. It's, it's like you were, you were, it was, it was, Great experience. I thought it it worked out perfectly. The match of illustrator with Kalevia. So, I really, yeah. yeah. The only thing I regret is we didn't end up having you do an illustration for the the bonus story about their next incarnation, where they're both women, which I think yeah. you would have also uh-huh. done really well. I would have loved that. Yeah, where they're um. So Demian is he was Sri Lankan, right? He was. It, yeah. It's in the nineties, and um. The tigers. Yes, he's a tiger, and uh the. Toivo is in Colombia, right? Was she, was she like, like it was part of the Colombian drug trade. She was like, was she an American agent? Yeah, it was an agent working with the military to fight against the cartels. Right, right. So it was, it was basically like the drug wars. Right. Boy, it's been a while since we worked on that. Even that, that version, it's like, it's so so weird. It's like, even in the, uh, the porn story, it's like, I couldn't resist bringing in like, depressing real world conflict <laughs> so it's like that was like basically all about it's like the smut story happens but in the background it's all about like the homophobia in the american uh government and stuff like that like mccarthyism and the lavender and stuff like that it's, oh man why you gotta why you gotta be such a downer emily no it's great i mean it, it brings it right makes... that's just like happy and fun well, i mean a... that, that's a type of erotica and this is another type mm-hmm. of erotica i think the you know i went and looked up the lavender scare when you brought it up because i didn't know that was a thing i mean homophobia in the cia at that time makes perfect sense but i didn't know that it was specifically like used to blackmail spies and stuff um to, you know it, it's I'll so tell people you're gay and you'll get kicked out and it became this whole thing and the fact that Demian would be seducing somebody at this time who was terrified of people knowing he was gay. I mean, it, it yeah. was perfect. This was the perfect premise. It, it was about, it was about fear of discovery and like fear of, you know, accepting your own sexuality and stuff because of this environment of paranoia. Like, it's so weird mm-hmm. that people ask almost anyone and they know what the red scare is. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. McCarthy was like kicking out all the communists and they blacklisted a bunch of people in Hollywood. And there was this whole thing against communists, but mm-hmm. it was also a very, very severe attack against homosexuals. So yeah. like, mm-hmm. a- of people like hundreds of people lost their jobs because not just because they were outwardly gay but like because they were accused like somebody be like you're gay we've seen you with like you know suspect people 
And it was just mm-hmm. this incredibly toxic environment in the the American government at the time. I I mean, I think that's interesting because something, you know, the, my favorite time period sort of around the 1910s, um, something that I've read about is the in 1920s, jazz actually had a fairly large queer subset. Yeah. And so in the 1920s, there was like this growing sense of ease, like a growing acceptance in a way. I'm going to say thinly veiled acceptance. I'm not going to say it was like great, Mm -hmm. but one step forward, three steps back from the red scare or, you know, lavender scare or whatever, where there's a push for equality and then there's just a huge pushback. Yeah. Um, The backlash I feel is a real thing with any social mm -hmm. movement, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I'm hopeful that generally, like, with stuff like feminism and stuff like that, there is progress made. But I feel like yeah. it, it's more like, yeah, two steps forward, one step back, where there'll be a mm. push for for equality, a push for civil rights, and then a, a group will fight back and be like, no, get back in your place, kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a pendulum more than, a, like, a beeline. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But yeah, makes good porn. I, I love it. I I love the sense of strife in in porn, like <laughs> sort of feeling intoxicated with someone, and then like there's the layer of resistance, and then that gets stripped away. I don't know. It just feels very vulnerable and yeah, uh, involving to me. Yeah, the, there there's something certainly to be said for internal conflict in the bedroom to kind of uh-huh. heighten experiences because you know there's a fine line to walk there, obviously, because you don't want it to go into sexual assault territory. Right. But I, I think I think Raven of Leningrad is a really good example of how it totally didn't do that. Like, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. um, Demi was manipulating him because he was a spy, but he can also see inside the guy's head. And it's very clear mm-hmm. that part of what this guy eventually got off on was the fear because it was always tied to his sexual... His sexuality was always terrified. So he had always uh-huh. associated sex and fear together. So they were mixing. Uh-huh. And that that was so fascinating to me. And also, I think it's not oh, uncommon, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was more like working through that, too. There was a mm-hmm. certain amount. I mean, it was it was definitely very bittersweet at the end. <laughs> but it's, like, you know, he he's working through that. And I, I feel like everything that happened in the story, you know, Demian reads people's minds and, you know, being extrasensory perception, that's like definitely a, a consent thing in magical fantasy stuff that isn't talked about a lot. It's like reading yeah, somebody's true. mind is pretty invasive. Oh yeah. But sure. yeah, but like everything that happened in the story was consensual. It just had all these outside factors involved with it that made the emotions surrounding mm-hmm. their their liaison very uh very complicated. Mm-hmm. Oh uh-huh. yeah. And I, and, and I I like oh I was just gonna say I, I like complex I prefer it complex. Like as mm-hmm. much as I love plot what plot, like I, I I don't think that would suit some characters. I think some characters you have to see in a complex situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think there are some characters you can't really fade to black because you couldn't imagine them in this scenario. So and I think also you did the same thing in Clevia, the greater Clevia book as well, Toivo and Demian. It does eventually fade to black, but you can't be like and then they boned. 
because it was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How? Like, it's all about navigating each other's yeah. very extreme feelings on a lot of different mm-hmm. different issues that are going on in their lives. Mm. So yeah, it was funny, though, because like, typically when I'm talking to Leanne on, on chat or something, like I'll run ideas by her and be like, oh, I've, uh, you know, I've got the structure down. I've been, uh, you know, doing the first draft of a few few uh, scenes. But, uh, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? <laughs> I was just like... It's blowjobs with a lot of angst. That's <laughs> how I originally pitched the pitched the content of the story. I'm sold. Like that yeah, the preamble is totally. like all I need. <laughs> I'm like this in my way. <laughs> Angsty blowjobs. Let's see. It. <laughs> it was. That was the story. Angsty blowjobs. Well, but, I'm um, partially using this podcast, you know, because it's public to try and get you to write another story. Because I know you have another one in your head for Kalevi. I want you to oh do my more God. porn. <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll see how busy I get after this week because I've got a new uh, game dev job starting up. So hopefully Yay. that goes well. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to write more stuff for Columbia. And I've also like I I have the problem with I have way too many ideas. Like I have this spreadsheet with literally like a hundred taglines of like you know, and they're sorted by category and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> like this character in a world where blah 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 you know? <laughs> but I've got like way too many ideas for projects without actually having the time to to wrap any of them up so right now mm-hmm. my main priority is trying to get this uh, animated short I've been working on oh, out the cool. door in the summer so it's three mm-hmm. minutes long and it's been taking me for freaking ever is it like 2d or 3 it's 2d my thing is wow. like what I'm doing as a job I do the opposite one as my hobby. So if I suddenly got a job doing like 2D animation, I'd probably be like modeling in ZBrush in my spare time. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I like writing. Writing is great because I can kind of sneak it in the gaps. Like I can do it on the train. I can like, I found like I, one of my friends got mad at me because I said writing is easy. And that was kind of, that wasn't actually what I meant. You know, and then like I explained, I was like, no, 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 I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but like in terms of time spent to story you can convey, like if I tried to animate a scene from Kalevia, it would take me years to oh, do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. For you sure. know, it's like, prose is like the fat, one of the fastest mediums you can work in. Um, I find and- the instant gratification of writing mm-hmm. really satisfying. Mm-hmm. And that's partially yeah. why we publish it because you know, all of us have worked in comics before we started Sparkle, and we know what a huge time commitment a comic is. That somebody has to be drawing all day, every day on that comic to get it done. Whereas sometimes, if the actual, if the medium of comics is not necessary to the story, if you can do it in prose, and there are certain things you can do better or worse in prose, so sometimes prose fits different stories. And Kalevi is a good Absolutely. example of that. I think yours worked very well in prose because of the switching perspective, because of the way they could kind of see into each other's heads. The, that their personality came a lot in the sections where they were controlling the narrative, even though it wasn't first person. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it suited prose really well. And then we have the illustrator, in this case, Ono, adding the visual element to it. So you're still getting some of that, that great art aspect of it. Um, you know, kind of a halfway between prose and, and doing a full comic of it. And, you know, certainly animation is kind of out of the realm of what we can do. I, I tell people, you can offload the rendering to somebody else's brain. You know, I don't have to. <laughs> my hand i'd be like you do all the work i'll just provide the spark so i'll describe a like a a scene like an airport or something like that Mm -hmm. and i leave out so much but if the person reading the story has been in an airport and uh you know has has seen a tile floor or something like that they Mm -hmm. automatically 
put in those details. All I have to do is say like two or three words and they create an image for me. And that's like, exactly. I like doing that. And it's great. You know, people really enjoy reading prose, like separately from reading comics, mm-hmm. separately from watching animation. And, you know, so for that, and, and also the other logistical reason is, like I said, because it's faster. So when you say writing is easier, I know what you mean. It's not like writing is not, writing well is easy, but compared to mm-hmm. a lot of the other formats that you can work in in fiction, it is certainly like the fastest and the least work intensive to get the most quantity of it out. So, yeah, you know, there's right. no shame in that, but I hard to drag your computer and your tablet onto the train yeah, <laughs> and like prop up an easel or something. No, no, I completely agree with what you were saying that some stories are better suited to certain mediums, particularly like writing versus comics or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, Duskin Kalevia was definitely one of those. I think the internal monologues, if you're writing internal conflict, prose can express that a little better and mm-hmm. has time to like, parse more feelings whereas in comics you just have to express it with like one expression or something or like a little bit of pacing you have control over but the reader also inserts their own kind of pacing on it depending on how quickly they're reading but yeah introspection Mm -hmm. is very interesting in comics there are a lot of ways that you can do it that i really like Mm -hmm. there's also a specific Mm -hmm. way that prose does it that i really like and one of those is does the weight does the writing itself kind of change like even if it's like a you know a third person narrative, if somebody else is controlling the perspective, and it's it's mm-hmm. subtle these kinds of differences, and not all writers are good at it. But Emily does it very well, you know. So you mm-hmm. it, the story feels different when it's a Demian scene from when it's a Toivo scene, and sometimes that's Absolutely. not as easy to get across in comics. So unless I mean, oh yeah, you could switch color palettes and stuff. Like there there's certainly things you can do, but it's not heavy handed maybe and less subtle. Mm-hmm. I mean. Really, my background's actually, like I, I told Leanne this before, like I went to film school. I didn't do writing as my thing. I was like a, a film major with a specialization in animation. So film is actually like, I find comics are kind of halfway between prose mm-hmm. and, and film because you've got like the, mm-hmm. you can do the, the thought, but usually that's kind of like, like in film, you can do it with voiceover, but it's kind of frowned upon. Like voiceover is a little bit fallen out of favor. Right. But a lot of, of stuff is like, <laughs> like who visually you kind of have to convey without saying anything and without hearing what's going on in the characters' heads. Who's kind of controlling the viewpoint at right. any moment in time? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the perspective, both visual and in terms of the tone comes from a specific character and i feel like comics mm-hmm. owe, owe a lot to to film and vice versa you know mm-hmm. yeah certainly and, absolutely yeah so the perspective yeah. change can be significant i think it's very difficult in a visual medium to do that there are a couple like mm-hmm. thinking just I off think- the top of my head i think kazuya minakura who did um she's most famous for sayuki but she did a comic called wild adapter which is genius and every more or less every volume is through a different person's perspective and she did very interesting things with um, the visuals to make it clear and not just the internal narrative, but sort of like if it's a kid's eyes, all of a sudden you're sort of looking up at everything. Um, and that's a way that you can do it in comics. So I don't want to imply that you can't change the story can't feel different in different perspectives in comics. It's just, I think it's even more difficult to do that in comics or film than oh, it is yeah. in prose. Yeah. You don't, right. like, oh, sorry, go on. You don't get such a uh, straight up access to a character's actual thoughts. You need to convey mm-hmm. those visually so it can be with body language or even like the way the camera's positioned like yeah. sometimes characters feeling vulnerable you use a different kind of shot so i think it's it's kind of cool like how comics without telling you 
this is how he's thinking and feeling, they just show them like, you know, shivering with fear or like looking completely elated, like, yes. And you, you know what that character is feeling and the camera is firmly in their viewpoint, in their perspective. So, mm-hmm. right. Like pacing can certainly help in comics to convey some of those moods. Like you have one panel that has a line of dialogue and then three panels of silence since the person digests it. Mm-hmm. And things like that can sort of lead to a quiet moment. But yeah, I guess the internal thoughts, I think it, I think it really depends. There's like internal thoughts and feelings and like digesting. For instance, I really like stress, like hurt comfort. <laughs> I like hurt comfort. So. Like, I, I didn't know what that was called until, didn't you say like, Leanne, when Toivo's taking care of Demian after he gets shot, you're like, oh, that's a hurt comfort. And I was like, what that? And then I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly what this is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Like, I think hurt comfort is so great in a written medium, particularly if it's like one character trying to like digest their complicated feelings for a situation that works so well in prose and a great fit for like the Dusk and Clavia story. Mm-hmm. And then there's other things that I think are like visual and sumptuous that fit better in comics. <laughs> We're not better in comics. It really depends on the story that you're reading, but yeah. are more easily digested into comics. Right. Yeah. Um, Some things make more sense. scenes. Right? Yes. It's, it's like something really <laughs> visceral. <laughs> so I'm going to reiterate that um, Ono's comic for Filthy Figments, which is called Cross the Lee, L-E-A. I saw the cover for it. it oh, you good. should totally read it. It's so good. It's unbelievably hot. And you're like, I, I, I knew you had it in you, Ono, but at the same time, I'd never seen you do a short story, like from start to finish comic erotica. And also, oh your God. anatomy is incredible. And like, just cause some, some people, well, some people are really bad at that, you know, like, it's like somebody takes off their clothes and you're like, oh, okay, it got weird. You know, like they're just, like they clearly didn't do figure drawing at any point. Good trapezius, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And, I mean, that's clavicle that you got there. And, and even more importantly, more than your, your beautiful bodies is your facial expressions that you draw on people during like, uh, intense, uh, sex scenes and stuff. I mean, it was just like the way you draw ecstasy on a face. It's just like, my God, this is amazing. These are like Renaissance paintings. Like, so good. turning paint behind the camera. <laughs> Remember but. when we were doing the character designs for Calivia and like it was just random sketches, but there was one of Demian and he just looked like so hot and bothered. <laughs> like, yes. Let's keep this frame. This is a good frame. Yeah, that's right. You were doing character <laughs> one tests and one of them was clearly like mid coitus. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was like, I want to do this as self-indulgent. I'm just gonna have to put it in here. <laughs> Hair is like falling over his forehead. That, right. that was, like a bead of sweat was in his hair or something yeah. like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like the other ones were trying to be like so restrained because this was like uh, my first project with you guys. So I didn't want to like let it all hang out or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like trying to draw normal stuff like, oh, here's Toivo. He's like in his sweaters. He's like drinking a little martini. That was a line in the book that I thought was just like so attractive um, and uh, like personable. And so I try to include some of that stuff and then like without really, <laughs> without really, um, censoring myself was like, I have to, I had to draw like sweaty and undone. <laughs> that was great and showed a really great range. So, you know, like on a professional level, it did show another great emotion, you know, if you want to show a, a how 
the different kinds of expressions you can do on a personal level because i'm a giant pervert i was like yes i'm so glad we brought her on for this project (laughs) (laughs) have you ever read that there's this manga called tonari no yaoi chan or is it yaoi is that the it's one like she- you know one and she like basically there's this guy and he's dating a uh, fujoshi and it's like this young coma four panel strip right and uh, basically she basically is about his girlfriend fangirling out on various internet topics and stuff but whenever how he uh depicts her fangirling out is like this little green monster like busts out of her and it's like haha and that's her inner fangirl and so basically <laughs> that's the that's what happens sometimes is like the inner yaoi chan like <laughs> jumps out like oh my god <laughs> mm. yeah <laughs> yeah i experienced that i try to keep it strapped down for certain jobs and then other jobs i'm like i think i can let like little peaks of it out <laughs> and then for personal projects like on cross the i'm like cracking my knuckles behind the keyboard like let's do it <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's time oh is it is it pronounced cross the lay maybe it's cross the i don't know what that word means is it uh, you know, like, I don't, uh, I'm not, I, I mean, I've only, I've only read the word. I don't hear people use that word <laughs> in like in person. Sorry, it's like a little bit poncy, but I mean, the story itself is a little poncy. So it means be like a good fit. river, right? It's like a river. Yeah. Yeah. He pulls uh-huh. him out of a mm-hmm. river. I mean, yeah. that's not how he finds him. It's not like he pulls this dude out of a river. It's like he got stuck in a river. That's how they met. He was like half drowning and he's like, I'll save you. It's so good, guys. You should read it. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's probably cross, I think it's probably cross the Lee. You're probably right. I have, I've only heard it or I've only seen it read. So I'm very that bad was, at that. With so many words, like, I, and I'll mispronounce stuff too, where I'll like, mm-hmm. I'll know exactly what it means and I'll see it in like, in, in written language, but like, there's no way I ever use it in casual conversation. So the one time when I do end up saying it, like, I really mangle said word. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I thought I could hide behind that for a little while. Like, that's the problem with readers is <laughs> they're like, oh, this is a great word. I love this word. And I'm never going to use it except in written form. And then you have to, like, talk about it and you're, like, stumbling over yourself. You're like, this is the title <laughs> of my own comic and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Well, I recommend um, for everyone after this, in, in addition to trying out Dusk and Clevy, obviously, uh, look up Cross the Lee or Lay um, from Filthy Figments from Ooh. Ono and also Starfighter Eclipse, the boys love erotic visual novel by Hamlet Machine, which is awesome. And Ono worked on that. And Emily worked on uh, Hive Swap, the, the Homestuck game. Yeah, but wow. it, it got rebooted as a 2D game. So I, I told you about that, right? Yes, you did a little bit. So does that mean that the stuff you worked on, it got integrated somehow, didn't it? Uh, sort of like story development wise, and maybe some of the storyboards I worked on might mm-hmm. make it in. But since it went from, actually, I'm happy because some of my 2D friends who are working on it, they're still working on it. So it's not like the project's canceled or anything, but they basically laid off the whole 3D team because mm-hmm. they decided that 3D was too uh, expensive and mm-hmm. that they'd through the entire budget before the game came out so they were basically like okay we're rebooting as a 2d game so none of the cutscenes i animated last year are gonna gonna make it fortunately so but the thing is like a lot of my coworkers were really really bummed out about that and i'm like i'm bummed out too but i learned a lot of stuff it's not like i reverted back to before the project it's like doing cutscenes and cinematic animations for an entire year has made me way better at character animations. So that's awesome. It, it was totally worth it. 
Well, I um, hope your stuff shows up in some format somewhere because it yeah, seems like a waste to not use it at all. Form. And I feel like cutscenes, even in 3D, could be used. Maybe not. Maybe I don't think I'd find it too jarring. Like, um, I, uh, certain well, games have that where it's 2D and it has like a 3D cutscene or something. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I think it's more that it was a lot of cutscenes and going forward with the project. I think they would do better, like, having illustrations mm-hmm. instead of cutscenes, like, almost like a, a panel by panel thing, like, this scene happens, then this scene happens. I don't know. I'm not, uh, I, I shouldn't even be talking about the game because it hasn't come out yet, but, uh, <laughs> I was working on Homestuck shenanigans and now I'm working on another game. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. So. You've been prudent. You haven't revealed anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like the 3D, 2D thing might have been knowledge, like common oh, yeah. knowledge. That, yeah. Well, it was posted on the Kickstarter. Like Andrew mm-hmm. talked about it and stuff like that. So it's basically, oh, I was so excited because my friend Angela, she animated like the last crazy animation for the end of Homestuck. Like, yes. Wow. So that's Angela Sham did the the final animation in Homestuck, and she worked on the Hive Mode game with Emily, and she's Sparkler. She did all the illustrations for Awake, the audio drama. Wow. But Sparkler brought people together. I knew about (laughs) Angela's work because she had done Sparkler stuff, and then I found out she had done a Homestuck fan animation. I'm like, this is exactly what we're looking for, this style and this, like, super quality work. I'm like, okay, Angela, do you want a job? You want to come in? Okay, Andrew's going to be here next week. Please come in. And uh, it worked out. She's yeah, still working. She's awesome. And, like, you know, the reason we hired her for Sparkler is because we saw her Homestuck fan animation. So it's one big circle of, <laughs> you know, this industry is so incestuous. Everybody knows everybody. But that was, we were so proud of her because that final Homestuck animation mm-hmm. was just like two weeks ago or something. And we're just like, oh, Angela did it. We're so happy. really freaking good. Yeah. But um, anyway, it's, it's funny because a lot of, like, uh, the I guess kind of butthurt fanboys throw shade at the indie games because they're like, oh, it's nepotism. It's all, but it's like if you have talented friends and you know what they're capable of and like you know they're exactly the skills you need and you can vouch for them personally, why wouldn't you hire your friends? Like I worked in a studio where basically as the studio grew, half the people were previous like previous co-workers or they went to school mm-hmm. together and i feel like that always makes a better team because mm-hmm. people long and also it's like you've done the interview for years and years before you actually need to fill the position you're like this person is a plus at sculpting or something like that or well you or, know mm-hmm. that happens to a point but keep in mind that angela was hired out of fandom like she really wasn't somebody like, we hired her because we liked her Homestuck fan animation, and then she was hired because of her Homestuck an- fan animation and because she worked for us and proved that she could work professionally. So she really wasn't, like, nepotism in any way. She she was, like, promoted fanboy. The the There's a TV trope for that. That's how I got my first job in the industry, too. I was basically hired after doing fan fiction to work on these Sailor Moon books. Um, so, like, it's always a mix when people say, oh, it's all people you know. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they were all people who were – a lot of them come from fandom, and that's how they know each other. Mm-hmm. So they're connecting through work anyway. It's not because, like, oh, I went to school with this right. guy. But, I mean, you know, yeah, it's always – it should be a mix. A yeah. Thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm right. Actually, when people talk about, oh, nepotism, they use it as a very pejorative term. But actually, yeah. in my experience, knowing people, whether it's from from work or from fandom or from even, like – 
you know, this person totally kicked butt in thesis class or something like that. It's awesome. You know, (laughs) you know, that's how, how to make good work is like, you know, find a group of people who's really compatible and is also really dedicated to their art. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that goes hand in hand with like forging a good team is similar sensibilities. And Mm -hmm. I think the internet has opened up that a lot. Um, introducing people to like niche groups <laughs> that they have a lot in common with. <laughs> I, I think it's natural that they would want to work together. And we, we lucked out in this case because you guys had never met uh, as far as mm-hmm. I know before this and you ended up, you had similar sentiments and worked out really well. I don't mm-hmm. think you actually ever met in person. Like I think we the never- times you came to New York, it was for really short stints and I'm like, Oh, hello. Goodbye. And like it, it was like, I, I've never actually seen you. One day it will happen. It's going to happen. I'm uh-huh. going to be in New York more. <laughs> Maybe we should go to TCAF, not this year, but next year. And I'll have to make plans for that, yeah. Have a comic or something. We can be like, look at this comic artist. Yeah, Inter- that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be ideal. I doubt I could punch a comic out in a year. <laughs> it seems like such a labor, but it I'd really love is. that. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. Uh, is there anything you guys wanted to say on your way out? Any closing words for your audience? Just that I was really honored to work with you guys, and I adored Emily's story, and I can't recommend it enough. Oh, you've been such a pleasure, Anna. You are an awesome editor and an awesome illustrator, and it was super fun, and I'm glad I actually managed to finish a project. <laughs> I, You know, I'm glad to. You're, you're such a gem, Emily. Emily, is, oh. I, I always use you as an example when we say that, you know, uh, there are very few people out there who have never really written before and they have the great American novel, like, under their bed. Um, you're my example when I use that because you're like, I haven't really written much ever before. And when you sent me that pitch, like, I was like, oh, my God, this writing is so beautiful. What do you mean you've never written before? Like, I feel like I pulled this off a shelf in Barnes & Noble. And including, like, in the beginning, I had to explain to you how a semicolon works. Because you just hadn't been doing that much writing, but you have such a great command of the English language that we are all we are all glad you finished this novel, because it's really, really a prize. <laughs> so I guess I'll talk to you guys later, and I hope people like the podcast, and I hope I didn't ramble too much. I, I tend to go, when I get excited, I'm like, yes, there's this thing. I want to tell you about it. Nah, you're fine. We're also, it'll probably get edited down slightly, but we're going to have you say goodbye to everyone now. So say goodbye to your loving fans, guys. Bye. 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 <laughs>